I want to do just a bit of review before we read the scriptures. I've got them laid out a little differently for you tonight because there's some questions and some answers that Jesus is going to give that are significant to understanding. But before we do, let's just do a quick review. In Mark chapter 1, uh, it opens up with the story of John the Baptist. It opens up with Jesus being baptized by John. We took time to, to look at that word, the heavens opened. It meant they literally were ripped open when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him. Uh, we talked about how that later you're going to see that Caiaphas will rip his robes when he hears that Jesus is the Messiah. And then you're going to read later in the book of Mark, I believe in chapter 15, where the veil of the temple is ripped in two. So that word rip just kind of echoes all the way through the book of Mark. We looked at how Jesus began his ministry preaching the good news. He delivers a man that is controlled by an evil spirit, and he, he brings healing, and he brings deliverance to the community. Ministry, though, drives Jesus to prayer. If you look at your outline, it drives Jesus deeper into prayer, and you see the Holy Spirit at work in him. But there's a lesson that we looked at in that particular message is how that if ministry is not driving us deeper into the heart of the Father, we're really not doing ministry from the heart of the Father. Some people love to do the work of ministry, and they like the, the clap, the accolade, but there's ministry that drives you to prayer. And when you go to prayer, you go not only and pour your heart out to God about the people you're interceding for, for instance, like my brother-in-law or someone else that you're praying for, but you listen to God, and as you listen to God, you walk out of there, and the Holy Spirit is at work in you, and you see the work of the Spirit in Jesus' life because he's very careful to tell us the things that he does. He does by the power of his Father in heaven. And in Mark chapter 2, where we left off, Jesus not only forgives a man of his sin. Remember, they tore the roof apart. They lured him down into the presence of Jesus. But at an important point there, he not only restores him and heals him, but he restores him to community. The man has a functioning gift that he can give back to the community. All of us have something to offer to the community we live in, or we have something to offer to the community, the church that we serve and that we're a part of. I've often said this on a Sunday morning, don't limit the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the list that you see in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. I see people here at Woodland, their spiritual gift is welcoming people, making them feel at home, helping them find a place. The Holy Spirit is at work in them because they just simply embrace and love others that they come in. I see people at work in our community when they're feeding the hungry. You won't find that listed as one of the charismata. So I don't think Paul meant for those gifts to be exhaustive. I think what we see is at any time that we go to prayer, we get close to the heart of the Father, we listen to God, we can expect the Holy Spirit to work and use our lives as a gift to the community, the church, and to the community abroad. Can you say amen to that? It's just an important work, and we'll see that more and more. Now, the passage, I've highlighted some phrases in the yellow and green for you, um, because I want you to see there are going to be four challenges to Jesus in this passage. Now, we're, I'm going to go into chapter 3, but we're not going to teach from chapter 3 tonight. There are going to be four challenges. Jesus is going to respond with three of them. He's going to respond with a proverb or a wise saying, a declaration. 
But in one of those, Jesus is going to turn the tables, and he's going to ask the question. And it's interesting to see how the Pharisees don't answer his question. They can't answer his question. They simply begin to conspire already in the very first part of Mark chapter 3. How are we going to get rid of Jesus? How are we going to kill Jesus? So this is a very, very important turning point that we're going to look at tonight. So let's go to Mark chapter 2 and verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now stop for just a moment. Remember, we've already established the Pharisees, you probably wouldn't have wanted for your neighbor. They were good people. They kept up their homes. They, they, did, they observed all the rules. They would have been orderly people. They would have been they would have made your house value go up in your community, you know, because they were the kind of people that everybody looked up to. So they asked his disciples, why does Jesus eat with such scum? There's the first challenge. Notice they don't attack Jesus' teaching, but they attack the people he's fellowshipping with. Well, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Well, they would have known because they were such upstanding people. He's talking about them, those that are sinners. The scum they're talking about is the ones they think are sinners. So he's calling the sick. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked. Now, they're acting like religious police. These are the Pharisees again. Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Well, Jesus replied, again, here comes a maxim or a proverb, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with a new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Well, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Now, there wasn't a law against this for the Sabbath day, but they had made a rule to enforce on the Sabbath day. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abathar, the high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, don't miss the connection. David was the king of Israel. He was the authority. Jesus, not only the son of David, but he's the Lord of David. That becomes very clear in this gospel. He's an even greater authority. So the Son of Man is even Lord over, even over the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, Jesus went into the synagogue and noticed a man with a deformed hand. 
And since this was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, this is where he turns the tables. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy life? In other words, would it have been evil if it was in the power of Jesus not to heal this man on the Sabbath? That's what he's getting at. Would it be evil for you, let's use the one we're all familiar with, to leave your, donkey, your neighbor's donkey in the ditch? You know, he's saying, use your head here. But they wouldn't answer him. Now, notice this is an important verse. We'll look at this next week. He looked at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was completely restored. Rather than answer Jesus, I want you to notice carefully this next verse, and think about this before we get to next Wednesday night, because here is a true conspiracy. And once the Pharisees went away, met with the supporters of Herod, to plot how to kill Jesus. Listen, if two people were at loggerheads with one another, it was the Herodians and it was the Pharisees. These were two. The, the, the Herodians were the wealthy, the influential, the politically connected. Herod's wife was his brother's wife that he had an affair with, and she divorced her husband to marry Herod. That's what caused John the Baptist's head. I mean... These people are, they're totally opposed to everything that the Pharisees, whatever the laws that the Pharisees follow, the Herodians just, that was meant for the people and the people were supposed to pay taxes and support their lifestyle. And so they, the Pharisees hate Jesus so much and the Herodians are going to feel the threat of Jesus's ministry because he's going to be preaching about people. He's going to be preaching about salvation and freedom. The same reason that dictatorships hate the church and hate the gospel today. And they're going to go together and notice what it is. How to kill Jesus. In our day today, nobody can kill Jesus, but they certainly try to kill the gospel. They certainly try to kill the message of the church. They certainly try to dilute the church. And if we're not careful, we have to be careful about conspiring with others. We're going to look at how Jesus responded to this tonight and next Wednesday night. The first thing Jesus' response was, was Levi's party. Levi was probably Matthew, but I'm going to stick with the name Levi here. We, most of us believe that Levi was Matthew, probably had two names like Simon Peter. There's some that want to say that Levi was another person altogether, and that's okay. It just means we're all called to follow Christ, whether you're Matthew or whether you're Levi. But I, I particularly think strong, there's strong support that Levi was Matthew, was Matthew. But Levi gets called by Jesus, gets singled out by Jesus. You ever felt like God singled you out? You ever felt like God's put his finger on you? Have you ever felt singled out in a crowd? Maybe I've called your name from the sermon on a Sunday morning and singled you out. And everybody turns around and looks at you when I do that. Well, Jesus singles Levi, this tax collector, out. And the thing you have to remember about Jesus singling Levi out and calling him to follow him, the rest of those guys could go back to their jobs. Peter could say, later as he would, 
I'm going fishing. And John would join him. But you couldn't go back and be a tax collector because once he broke faith with the Roman government and once he broke faith with the Herodians, his name would have been Mutt. So following Jesus is always a radical break from your old life. Following Jesus is always a radical break. But it's also interesting to me that Jesus calls Levi. Uh, if you think Peter, Peter who said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner, in the eyes of the Pharisee, Levi was the last person that Jesus should have called to be a disciple because Levi was more despised. Remember, we've, I've always tried to illustrate how tax collectors and were right there at the bottom. Levi was so, so despised. Look at verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. Be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. You see, I want, if we could all understand this tonight, wherever you come from in life, whatever your education, whatever your background, whatever your position, if I was in India, I would say whatever your caste, that is not a challenge for Jesus. I met a young woman this last week while we were in Florida, and I saw on her name tag, it was a Hebrew name. And so I, I walked up to her and I said, hi, do you know what your name means? And, you know, I didn't want to ask, are you Jewish? I just said, do you know what your name means? And she said, no. I said, has your mother ever, your mother's never told you what your name meant? She said, my mother died when I was three months old. I've never known her. And then she began to tell me part of her story. And so I told her what her name meant in Hebrew. And tears began to well up in her eyes. And before I left, she came running over, grabbed me by the shoulder, says, tell me one more time what my name means. And I looked at her and I said, honey, your mother had a background in the Bible. I don't know what else happened in your life since then, but for your mother to name you this, she was speaking God's grace. She was speaking God's love. She was speaking God's peace. You matter to Jesus. And she just began to weep. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from. Your place in life is not a challenge for Jesus to use. Jesus can use anybody that will make themselves available to him. Amen? It's very, very important. The second thing I want you to see is Jesus befriends sinners like me. Notice I didn't say Jesus befriends sinners. Jesus befriends sinners like me, like you, not to party, but to love, save, heal, and transform us. Now, I believe he enjoyed the party. That's not what I'm saying. I believe that he enjoyed the dinner. I believe that he enjoyed the laughter and everything that was there. But Jesus wasn't interested in a party lifestyle. Jesus was interested in the people. And he must have had, think about this for just a moment, he must have had incredible charisma. Now, this, I've got, I want to draw a line here. He must have had incredible charisma, but at the same time, have you ever not liked Jesus? Has Jesus ever said something to you you didn't like? And before you start going, oh, no, I love everything that Jesus says. Did, did you ever read what Jesus said, and you're a parent? If you don't hate your mother and father, <laughs> you can't be mine? That's a tough saying, right? I mean, I want my kids to love me, but, and that's another sermon for another time. Sometimes Jesus challenges our preconceptions. The Pharisees don't like him. The Sadducees don't like him. The Herodians don't like him. The Romans act like they could care less, but they really, you know, it just doesn't matter. But for the lost people, 
It wasn't the religious people that attracted them. It was something about Jesus' life, this incredible charisma in his life that drew hurting people, successful people, prosperous people, poor people, lepers, healthy, people like Nicodemus who came to Jesus. That adds a whole new meaning to Nick at night, doesn't it? You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and then there's later someone, Joseph of Arimathea, that will give up his card of tune for Jesus to be buried in. It wasn't just the sinners, but people whose hearts were open to God. Later, Levi invited Jesus, if you'll look at the scriptures with me, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. You know, and I mean this sincerely, I'm not saying this just for effect. I would love it if that was over the door of our church. There were many people of this kind that had become members of Woodland Church. I mean, everybody wants the good people. Everybody wants the successful people. Everybody wants the people that keeps the rules. Everybody wants the people that you want to be your neighbors. I still think about that story I read so many years ago that Tony Campolo told. He had flown out to Hawaii to preach. I would love to have an invitation to Hawaii to preach. So any of you that, if my friends in Hawaii, it's cold here. Call me during the winter. You know, I'll come. I will preach for food. That's all you got to do. You know, just preach for food. But he went to Hawaii and after the service, about 3 o'clock in the morning, he went into a diner to get something to eat. And there were a whole group of prostitutes in there getting something to eat. And he overheard, he and his host overheard one of them say, tomorrow's my birthday. And one of the other prostitutes in there, you know, kind of just reacted with scorn to her. Well, you, you think anybody cares? And she was kind of defensive, according to Campolo. She said, well, I've never, ever had a birthday party. So he called the owner of the, rest of the restaurant over, and he says, listen, do they come in here every night? And he says, yeah, every night about this time, they come in here, they get something to eat. He said, I want to throw a birthday party for that girl tomorrow. And so they got a cake made. They told all their friends. The restaurant owner helped them. They baked a cake. They had a birthday party. She came in the next night along with some other prostitutes, and there was surprise. There were decorations. She began to cry. She'd never had a party at all, had a party like that. And after it was all over, just to make a long story short, how God had touched her heart, the, uh, the owner of the restaurant looked at Campolo and said, who are you and, and, and why did you do this? And when Campolo told him he was a Christian and he was a pastor, he goes, what? And he was almost angry. He says, Christians don't do that. Christians don't do that. And when Campolo said that, he said it several times over. Christians don't do that, but Jesus did. And I think it's important that we learn how Jesus had this incredible charisma with lost people and look at our lives and is there something about us that lost people are drawn to and they want to know about. What happened is these people became passionate followers of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. To be a passionate follower of Christ, you've got to repent of your sins. Campolo never said whether this prostitute that I illustrated, whether she ever became a Christian. But the fact was that she was loved. The fact that the few minutes I had with this girl was to tell her she was loved. But to be a passionate follower of Christ, you had to repent, and you had to obey. And when you did the benefits of following Christ, it's one thing to like Jesus. 
It's another thing to follow Jesus. And that's what Levi did. And that's why Levi was inviting his friends to his house. He didn't just want them to party with Jesus. He wanted them to become passionate followers of Christ. That's what explains Jesus' statement to the Pharisees when they asked, why is he eating with such scum? Look with me at verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I've never, ever, ever in my life had a doctor call me when I wasn't manifesting symptoms of being sick. You always call the doctor once you start manifesting symptoms. Jesus is different. Christianity is all about God coming to seek and to save that which was lost. It's what Jesus did. It's what you and I do. Second thing I want you to look at is this credible story because the presence of the king means feasting and not fasting. The presence of Jesus means feasting and not fasting. Now, again, this is important because remember in Luke chapter 15, there was a, there was a, 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 a publican praying and there was a Pharisee praying. Does anybody remember what the Pharisee prayed? One of the things he prayed was, God, I thank you that I fast two times a week. So what you need to see here is they were very proud of their religious asceticism. They were very proud of their religious rules. They were very proud because it made them feel good about themselves. They felt like they were earning their way with God. They felt like they were worthy because of these things they did. Jesus is going to throw all of that out. And what he tells us is we're invited to a wedding, not a funeral. We're invited to a wedding and not a funeral. I don't mind fasting. There are times when I don't want food. There are times when I just, it's the last thing I want. When I, I'm grieved for a friend or a family member, it's not that I mind fasting. It's just that I don't want to eat. But when I'm that grieved, I certainly don't look like I'm going to a wedding. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so what Jesus is trying to tell us is the kingdom is all about joy. Sometimes it's impossible not to fast. But to fast because you're trying to earn your way with God, that misses the whole deal. To fast because you're trying to earn your healing. To fast because you're trying to convince God to save your child. To fast because you're trying to move the hand. That's not what fasting is all about. And I've taught on that several times here at the church But look with me at verse 19. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. What's he saying? The resurrection of Christ is going to transform all of our grief and all of our sorrow. The resurrection of Christ is going to transform all of our grief and all of our sorrow. I'm still weeping I'm still grieving over people that I've just recently buried. I'm weeping tonight and praying for my own brother-in-law who still needs such a, 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 so much more of a healing miracle. The doctor showed me the, the scans of his brain and his liver and his body, his arms and legs. It, it just, it's going to take a miracle. And we see in God do a miracle. But you see, for us that know the Lord, even if someone dies in faith, we know that they're instantly in the presence of Jesus Christ. I was talking to my wife in the car yesterday. I said, do you realize what a horrible month last December was? 
12 funerals in the month of December, 12 funerals right during Christmas, preaching those funerals and grieving with all of those. I said, I'm so thankful that so far December's looking good. <laughs> December's looking like we're going to be able to celebrate. But we had to hold on to by faith that we grieve not like the world grieves. We have hope and we have joy in despite of all of that. The next thing that Jesus wants us to see is that the kingdom of heaven is not compatible with the old. The kingdom of heaven, the gospel is not compatible with all these rules and regulations. Jesus will fulfill the law. Look at me, this is important. You might want to write this down. Jesus will fulfill the law, but he will not fulfill their regulations and their additions to the law. All the hundreds and hundreds of additional laws they wrote. So he says, besides, who would patch old clothing with a new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. I'd love to just teach a little longer on that. That's one of my favorite preaching passages. God's concern for the old wineskin and God's concern for the new wineskin. The old is the Judaism of the Pharisee. The old is the Judaism of the Pharisee. It's the condemnation and the exclusion of sinners. You see, Judaism, the Pharisee's desire was to keep Judaism pure. And so they became the religious police. Keep Judaism. It wasn't the scripture. It was Judaism to keep it pure. Jesus doesn't make any concessions. This is important. Jesus doesn't make any compromise with them. If he'd have conceded some points, if he'd have compromised with them, you and I would not be sitting here tonight. The gospel would not have circled the globe the way it has. You see, they had all these laws about food. You remember they'll criticize him because his disciples aren't washing their hands the right way. And he'll tell them purity of the heart matters more than your food laws do. One time Jesus will tell them it's not the food that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. This is just blowing their minds because in their mind, what they're doing is making them pure and clean in the eyes of God. And I have a feeling that even in here tonight, maybe online tonight, some of you are thinking, Boy, if I could just do this better, if I could just do this better, God would like me better. God would be more pleased. God would answer my prayers better because if I did all these things perfectly, that's not the way the kingdom works. It's all about grace. As a matter of fact, he will tell them, he'll say, look, it's more important to love your neighbor than it is to sacrifice. Because if you don't love your neighbor... All your sacrifices, Paul will pick up on this and say, you may give your body to be burned, but if you don't love people, you're just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He will tell them because they're so fastidious about the temple, the temple is going to be destroyed, and it was, and God's going to build a new temple that will not be built with human hands, and you and I are a part of that new temple. We are living stones in it. Can you say, come on, victory tonight? I mean, this is what makes Mark's gospel so exciting to me. And then the Sabbath controversies. I'm going to deal with one of them. We'll pick up with the second one next week. Why did God give us the Sabbath? God gave us Sabbath for worship, refreshing, and recovery. Worship, refreshing, and recovery. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, 
and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What's he saying there? He's saying God gave us the Sabbath before the fall of man. Before the fall of man, God gave us the Sabbath because God chose to rest and enjoy what he had created, which included you and me and included the... Imagine a boa constrictor wasn't choking a little Bambi to death. <laughs> Imagine a lion wasn't jumping on a zebra and trying to tear it apart. Imagine what the Garden of Eden must have been like. Adam and Eve were, had every single need met. My nephew called me today from Jacksonville, and he said, Uncle Denny, it's 75 degrees in Jacksonville today. Just think, we could go pray for Daddy and then go play golf. <laughs> He's not right. He needs to get saved. <laughs> Imagine being in paradise having and told, just don't touch this one tree. Just don't eat the fruit from this tree. After the fall, it wasn't that we needed recovery, and it wasn't that we needed healing before the fall. But after the fall, every week, we need recovery and we need healing just as much as we need worship. And a society that fails to guard Sabbath will be a society that will eventually fail because people were created to worship God and in this time we need recovery and we need healing. The beautiful thing about heaven is it's called a eternal Sabbath, a eternal rest. There will be no need for recovery. There will be no need for healing because there will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. So we will eternally be worshiping God, not just by singing and praising Him, but by doing what God has created us to do in the new heavens and new earth. Amen? If you, if you downloaded the notes, if you've got those, then you see the growth work we're going to be talking about here in just a few minutes. I encourage you to take a look at that this evening. We're going to talk about that here, but I'm going to pray for you right now, and then we're going to say goodnight. Father, in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you love sinners like me. I thank you that you befriend people like me. I thank you, Lord, that tonight we can celebrate, even if we're grieving, Lord, we have hope and we have joy. And I thank you for the blessed truth of Sabbath, Lord. I not only need worship, but Lord, every week I need time to recover and heal and to be in your presence. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church on our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.